This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Well, thanks for tuning in. We're back in 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to pick up here in verse 12. Just to do a brief review of our earlier discussions, Peter, at this point, is going to return to his major theme of the book, uh, that is to, to bear up under suffering, to stand firm in the faith, resist the devil, and cling to hope. And he's given this exhortation in the first 11 verses of chapter 4, wherein we should see how our perspective changes of service and sacrifice because of what Jesus has done done for us. And he's not going to shy away from, Peter that is, is not going to shy away from fiery talk and so let's just look in verse 12 he says beloved do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you so he's he's returning to again the the central theme if you remember that's how he began the book if you go back to chapter one and you look at verse seven he says uh, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's he's again calling us to, first of all, accept that this is going to happen. It's part of the plan. Uh, it's not. It shouldn't blindside any Christian, but it's to be expected. And now he's calling us to remember this is by design, and it's actually going to lead to glory, as we saw at the end of verse 7. That's that when your faith is proven during these tests, these various trials, it ultimately results in glory at the revelation of Christ when, when he returns. And so Peter, as we've noticed before, he kind of ebbs and flows. He goes he between exhortation and this and, and instruction. So giving us what we need to do and, and and teaching us, okay, here's what service looks like. And then reminding us why it is we should be motivated to, to do that. And he, in every, in every case, he brings our attention back to Christ when he gives these instructions. So if you just look at chapter one and verse 13, he does it there, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Chapter 2 and verse 21, as he's talking about suffering in various relationships, he says, you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. So there it is again. Chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, it is better if God should will it that you suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong, for Christ also died for sins once and for all. And then in chapter 4 and verse 1, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also for the same purpose. So over and over again, he's we have this these bouts of instruction and the call to uh, persevere. And then that's often bookended with references to Jesus' suffering and his, his example. And Peter, of course, is not the only one to do that. You know, he's inspired by the same Holy Spirit that Paul was and other New Testament writers. And so... He's 
you know, whatever question it is that we ask, you know, in this case for, for this book, how are we going to endure? How are we going to find the strength to persevere? Or maybe the question is, how are we going to forgive the brother or sister who sinned against us? How are we going to be content in our circumstances? How are we going to find the strength to teach others? In every case, the answer is to remember the example of Jesus. And so it should come as no surprise that Peter, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's doing he's doing the same. As we go through these waves of instruction, Peter is saying, if you're going to do this, and you're going to do it right, you have to fix your eyes on Jesus, and you have to determine to do what I'm telling you. And if you don't, you're not going to have the right perspective. You're not going to have a source of motivation. You're not going to be able to follow through. And so there is certainly a response God expects from us uh, that, you know, we, we must take action, but he's also given us the tools that we need and he's given us the motivation that, that we need. Uh, so let's, let's continue reading where we were here in um, chapter four and verse 12. So Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. So notice how he's redirecting our attention to not fixate on the here and now and whatever it is that you're going through, but know that ultimately on the other side there's there's exultation, there's glory awaiting Verse 14, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is uh, time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Okay, so like other Bible writers, Peter is saying this is a time for rejoicing. First of all, don't be surprised. Don't be taken aback. Don't react as if this is, uh, you know, totally outside of your expectations. This is a test. You're still on the proving grounds, and that shouldn't catch you off guard. And so, you know, we, again, this is consistent with Jesus' teaching, of course, being persecuted for righteousness' sake. He says uh, that that is a mark of his people that we're going to endure. But Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.12 that all who desire to live in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I want you to think about that and how that aligns with what Peter is telling us. And specifically think about the words all and will, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. So no exceptions, me and you included, no exceptions, and will suffer persecution. So it's not a question of if, it's a question of when, uh, but this is a reason to rejoice. Peter doesn't have a view and doesn't want us to adopt a view uh, that 
that would say that this is unfair or causes us to doubt the goodness of God. But he says, to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, again, keep on rejoicing because it means glory for you when he returns. So he gives us the same reason as, as Jesus does in Matthew 5, 10 through, through 12, when he's telling his disciples there early on that blessed are you when you suffer persecution for my name's sake and when men say all manner of ill things against you. He says, because great is your reward in heaven. Now, Peter doesn't use those words exactly, great is your reward in heaven, but that's what he's talking about, right? Uh, when at the revelation of his glory. So it's the same, it's the same teaching. So look forward, in other words, look forward to your final triumph in Christ. This testing, these fiery trials, Peter calls it a, it a proving. It's exposing us, exposing our faith for what it is. Is it, you know, as we read just a moment ago, in chapter one, it's like testing gold for its worth. You know, the, the dross is melted away, and then what you're left with is a pure gold uh, substance or nugget. So the idea is not only this uh, purifying that we are being perfected by these fiery trials, but it's also uh, an analysis of our condition. Again, it's, it's a proving, it's a test. And so we, we have to embrace that and we have to have, we have to square with that, that our faith in Christ is meaningless until we have passed these tests, right? You can say you have faith all day long, but it's the test that's going to reveal whether or not that's, that's true. What you believe is true. Again, you know, there's a lot of people in scripture Peter, Peter himself was a notorious example of this. A lot of a lot of people in Scripture who thought they were ready for the test and who declared their allegiance to God, just like Peter did. Remember on the night of his betrayal, he said, "Lord, I'm I'm ready to go to prison uh, and to death with you." And of course, Jesus' response was, "Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny tonight that you even know who I am three times." And of course, Peter. He doesn't doesn't believe this, but his bravado continues, and I think that Peter, I think Peter really believed that he he was ready to do that. But of course, when the time came, it was Jesus who was vindicated, and and that will always be true. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Uh, but Peter he failed that test, and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. Things unfold just the way Jesus said that they would. Uh, but he's graciously given another chance, and he comes back, and and you remember that exchange by the seashore in John chapter twenty twenty one, uh, where Jesus says, "Peter, do you love me more than these?" And he asks him that three times. And of course, Peter says, "You know all things, O Lord. You know that that I love you." And and uh, Peter would go on to suffer many things for for the name of Christ. And I, I think if secular history is to be trusted, that he uh, was was killed for his faith. And so we, we have to square with that. Our faith, again, is meaningless until we have passed these, these tests. And so that's why Peter and other Bible writers will say it's a, it's a good thing. It's a time of, of rejoicing because we are considered in that moment worthy 
to be tested. You remember in Acts chapter 4, I believe it is, Peter and John, they're arrested on more than one occasion and they're warned and they're threatened and then it comes to the point where you know, they're arrested again and then they're beaten. And rather than uh, you know, shake their fist or or be angry or say that's unfair. Or, How could this happen? And their response is is to go on their way rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name. So, in other words, even though these bad actors were obviously under the influence of Satan and opposing the truth and trying to suppress the truth, as Peter and other apostles were preaching it in in Jerusalem at that time, and and hurting them physically, violently, the response of the apostles, Peter specifically, is not to cave or surrender, but to be thankful to God and not to blame God, but to say, thank you for counting me worthy of that test. Like he sees it as, he sees it as an honor, right? That God counted me worthy to suffer in that way because he knew that that was a test that I could endure. And so James uh, 1, verses 2 and 4, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So what we're facing, whatever form the trial takes, it's, it's in fact, it's a blessing that's validating. Right, If you are reviled, verse 14, Peter says in 1 Peter 4, if you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. You see, there's that upside-down attitude again. Being reviled means I'm blessed? Yeah. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And again, Peter's not alone in, in taking this perspective. And Paul will say in Philippians 1, 27 and 28 that we shouldn't be alarmed by opposition. He says, in fact, that's a sign of salvation. Right? If, you're in, if you endure opposition, it's a sign of salvation for you and it's a sign of destruction for the enemies of God. And he says that is, it's a sign from God, he says in verse 28 of Philippians 1. And so if we're reviled and Peter he he goes on quickly to to make this point that suffering in and of itself is not a an indicator that you're of your standing with God right because he'll say you know don't suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evil doer or a troublesome meddler right because there's some th- there's some bad things that happen in this life that are just the result of our own dumb choices or sinful choices and so yeah if you break the law and or sending you know many things that are sin first and foremost against God are also a violation of man's laws and there comes consequences uh for that and and certainly suffering of a sort jail or or other you know adverse effects so peter is saying i'm not talking about that kind of i'm not talking about just suffering in general all kinds of suffering but verse 16 suffering as a christian and because you're a christian don't be ashamed, but glorify God. And it's and it's being reviled for that reason that makes suffering a blessing. That's that kind of suffering is validating when you are being persecuted in various ways because of your fellowship with Christ, because you're following Him. 
um, God is with you, just as the Spirit rested on on Jesus, as prophecy foretold, and as we see happening in, at His baptism. Uh, Isaiah eleven one and two says that the the Spirit of God would be upon him, and so this, as Peter says, this sharing to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, where you're being brought nearer to Him, not only in in sufferings but also in the approval of God and, and the knowledge that He is with us in our sufferings, that we are undergoing the same the same tests. And Jesus, as a man, you know, he did what was necessary to have fellowship with deity. And I know this is where things get kind of sticky because Jesus is deity. You know, he can't be separated from uh, himself. But nevertheless, Scripture speaks of the Son of God as a man, as a distinct person from the Father. And as a man and as the Son, he submitted perfectly. And says in John eight twenty nine, I, I, I do... All things that are pleasing to the Father. I know that He's always with me because I always do the things that are pleasing to Him, even if it meant, you know, in, enduring some terrible things at the hands of evil people. And so, from that, Peter is saying, "Don't, don't be ashamed to suffer as a Christian, but give glory to God in this name." Verse fifteen. Uh, excuse me, verse sixteen. Give give glory to God. If you suffer as a Christian, glorify God in this name. You know, sometimes, you know, you maybe you've heard this before too, that someone might say, well, I, I don't like the term Christian or, you know, a follower of Christ might even say, I don't call myself a Christian, but maybe they'll use some other description from the Bible, like I'm a believer or a disciple, uh, but they deliberately avoid using the word Christian because they'll, the argument goes, well, there's so much uh, baggage associated with it, or there's this like the stigma. If you say I'm a, I'm a Christian, well, then that gives, you know, people the, the wrong idea, but scripture never takes us down that, that road. Scriptures, it uses different words to refer to God's people. Peter has done that in this book, you know, as Royal priesthood, chosen people, you know, things like this temple of God, uh, but but Christian is another uh, label, if you want to call it that, uh, and so it may it may have negative connotations in someone's mind. Uh, but uh, if that if that's the case, uh, we can dispel those, and we should by being the kind of people God has called us to be. And if if there are negative connotations of a Christian associated with Christian in someone's mind. We want to make sure that it's not because of us. We want to make sure it's not our fault, and but rather show them what a Christian truly is. You know, if my wife decided uh, that she didn't want to bear my name anymore uh, because, you know, there's just too many negative connotations associated with Garcia. So, uh, or there's a lot of people out there who are claiming to be my wife and bearing my name, even though they're false. And so she decides, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to call myself something else. You know, how uh, offensive and hurtful would that be to me? Do you think, you know, that, you know, if, if anything, you know, it's should, she should have all the more reason to uphold my name and, and bear it and show uh, who, who I truly am and what our family stands for. And so that's that's just an illustration. I know they don't prove anything, but you know I think that that's 
an, an apt illustration of what Peter is describing here. Give glory to God in this in this name. And again, he wants us to fix our eyes on eternity and, and act accordingly. And so verses 17 through 19, what does he talk about? He talks about judgment. He says, judgment begins with the people of God. Right? It is it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. It begins with us first. What will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So when Peter says judgment begins with the people of God, he's not he's not talking about final judgment. I think notice he says it is time now. So the judgment is now, and what's he been talking about? What sort of uh, test or judgment has he been discussing throughout the book? Well, he's he's been talking about various trials, and that's what he's that's the context here. In verse 12, fiery ordeal, various trials, fiery trials is what he calls them in chapter one. And so this is, you know, these are where the lines are being drawn. You're being tested now. You're being judged now. If you think, so the point is, if you think as a Christian, you have it bad, just imagine suffering as someone who's disobedient to God, who's rebellious. And then he quotes Proverbs eleven thirty one by saying, you know, if it, verse eighteen, if it if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? And so he's not here. He's not saying that. Well, if you're a follower of Christ, you're just barely getting you're just barely getting in. You know, even if you are a disciple, you're just barely going to make it. No, Peter is saying that the righteous get to heaven through difficulty. Not that God has difficulties saving them, which is you know the, the wrong understanding. But again, in the context, he's talking about what we are passing through now, the test, the fiery trials, that or difficulties or hardship. So it is it is the righteous who go through those things, and that is in many ways the means of their um, sanctification, their salvation through suffering and trials. Um, as Paul, you know, and Barnabas, when in Acts fourteen, when they would go back through uh, the churches that they had established in um, Lystra and Iconium, I think it was the Galatian churches. The one of the things that they they preach as they go back that it, they say it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. Uh, so same idea here that Peter's talking about in First Peter four. Uh, these, you know, what stands in the way is is the way. If if the righteous, and so Peter is saying, if the righteous must suffer in this way, can you imagine the outcome of the unrighteous? If God would have His own people go through these things, and those who are just obedient will suffer far worse. And so we should conduct ourselves accordingly. Verse nineteen. Therefore, also those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator and doing what is right. And so he you know he uses that phrase suffer according to the will of God versus suffering not according to the will of God, right? As he's made that distinction earlier in, in verse 15. You know, there's people who suffer for a lot of reasons other than doing what God says. But in following Christ, God would have you go through these ordeals ultimately to to make you better. And you can keep entrusting yourself to him because you know it's for your good. So the way that the way that we entrust ourselves to God, notice Peter says at the end of verse 19, he says, in doing or by doing what is right. 
And this is calling our minds back to what he says in chapter 2 earlier about Jesus. Again, you've been called for this purpose, verse 21, follow in his footsteps. He was sinless. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, but he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So notice he's talking about the judgment of God. Judgment is per- his judgment is perfect. Uh, he allowed his son to suffer in this way, and Jesus uh, he bore up under that suffering. He didn't utter threats and revile. And notice Peter too is saying, "You, verse fourteen of chapter four, you're being reviled, but like Jesus, keep entrusting yourself to your Creator." Right? He doesn't say that in verse twenty-three of chapter two, but he's talking about he's talking about God, and we're called to follow His example. Keep doing what is right. This is how you entrust yourself to Him. If you really believed and trusted Him, you would trust and believe His promises. And you would obey what he says in light of those promises because you want to claim them for your own. And you want to be with him in heaven someday. There is a point to this life. There is a point to these fiery trials. And if you forget that, you forget the goal that we're ultimately seeking, we're just going to flounder. We're going to buckle under these these trials and we're going to compromise. And we could degenerate even to the point where we become the enemies of God. But Peter's conclusion is to follow the example of Jesus. Suffer according to God's will. Have the right perspective. Remember his promises. Remember his goodness. Leave it in his hands. As Peter is going to go on to describe here in our next study in chapter 5, you You lay your cares at his feet, verses 6 and 7. You cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Entrust your soul to him and continue to do what is good. You know, in three words, don't give up. Don't give up. There's too much at stake. Yeah, it's going to hurt here and it's going to be painful and you're going to be sad, and you might feel alone. Jesus felt all of those things. He knew all of that pain. Uh, And he knows it better than anyone. And he wants to be with you, and he wants you to be with him. But we've got to do it on his terms. So hang in there. Keep following him. 